Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for First St. Charles United Methodist Church in downtown St. Charles, Missouri. We are so glad that you're here, and it's our prayer that you feel safe, welcome, and wanted in this space. If you're interested in finding out more about us or supporting our ministries, you can connect with us online at firststcharlesumc.com. Matthew 14, 1-12 At that time, Herod the ruler heard reports about Jesus, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He's been raised from the dead, and for this reason these powers are at work in him. For Herod had arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been telling him, It is not lawful for you to have her. Though Herod wanted to put him to death, he feared the crowd because they regarded him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company, and she pleased Herod so much that he promised on oath to grant her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. The king was grieved, yet out of regard for his oath, And for the guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought on a platter and given to the girl who brought it to her mother. His disciples came and took the body and buried him. Then they went and told Jesus. Inspired by the Spirit, let this be our call, extending Christ's love and acceptance to all. We've been journeying with John the Baptizer for three weeks now. We've heard him calling from the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. We've walked with him through his disappointments and questions. We've heard the harmony and the dissonance of his song with Jesus. And now we come to kill him. The passage that we read today begins with the words, at that time which might cause a question to pop into your head. At what time? Well, I'm glad you asked. When I was in Bible college, it was drilled into our head that we must investigate those sort of leading phrases, that there's always something bigger going on. And that's true here. The passage immediately before this one in Matthew's Gospel is the story of Jesus teaching and healing in the synagogue in Nazareth. The people there, who were Jesus' own family and friends, took offense at his teaching and at his newfound sense of authority. They had known him since he was little. They had seen all of his skinned knees and his tears and his hijinks. So where did he get off teaching them about God, let alone about morality? Jesus responds by saying, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. Everywhere else, though, Jesus' fame was spreading. It had spread all the way to Herod, who was growing more and more paranoid by the minute. He began to worry that Jesus was John the Baptist resurrected. He had to be resurrected because Herod had killed him himself. So what follows then in this story that we read today is a flashback. And it is a scene that could be taken from any number of action films. Scarface or James Bond, maybe even Game of Thrones. Take your pick. 
We have a supervillain who is surrounded by luxury, with throngs of people all around him who are riding his coattails. They're really only loyal to their own vices. And then there's a beautiful woman using her seductive prowess to manipulate an egotistical man with too much money and too much power for his own good. Our hero sits wrongfully imprisoned in the dungeons below the party, awaiting a cruel fate. In one of those films, John would escape just in time to take down Herod and save the day. Unfortunately for John, though, this is the Bible, and things don't generally work out too well for prophets in their hometown or anywhere else for that matter. Now, at first glance, we know what to do with this story, and some of you may have heard fine sermons on this passage before. Or maybe you're the really cultured sort, and you're familiar with Oscar Wilde's infamous play-turned-opera called Salome, which is based on this text. As an aside, that play was banned in the UK for 35 years after it was first published because it was so salacious. But John, John the Baptist, prophet profound, he marches up to Herod and he speaks truth to power. Herod rebuffs and imprisons the prophet, and then a lascivious woman uses her wiles to manipulate the villain, and John loses his head. The lesson? Be bold and speak the uncomfortable truth like John. It's a story that lends itself to us identifying with the hero. We just need to be bold and speak our truth, come what may. And that's a fine takeaway, and many of us need to hear it. But it seems to me that this, in, in this particular moment in world history, there are plenty of people who are more than willing to speak their opinions, come what may. So I wonder if there's another way to look at this passage. As Pastor Bart is fond of saying, the Bible is a minority document. It was written by oppressed peoples living under the occupation of brutal empire. And so when we read the scriptures from our majority mindset, as citizens of a wealthy Western nation that has held an outsized influence over world politics for decades, we are citizens of an empire. So when we read the, I mean, the minority voice, we often miss what it has to speak to us. So today, I invite us all to re-enter this story from another perspective, Herod's. The Herod who imprisoned John in this story is Herod Antipas, son of Herod the Great, whom you may know for his edict demanding the slaughter of baby boys in the story of the Nativity. Apparently, paranoia ran in the family. Herod Antipas came into power following the death of his father, although he was not his father's first or second or even third choice for an heir. He inherited only a portion of his father's territory, and so he ruled over a small domain that included Galilee. Other portions of the territory were ruled by his brothers, one of whom was called Herod Philip. Truth be told, ruling is a generous term, the Tetrarchs, as they were called, were puppet leaders, and their dominion was entirely subject to Roman rule. They had very little real power, but they did have a comfortable life and some authority over the everyday lives of the Jewish people. 
Early in his reign, Herod Antipas had married a woman from a nearby kingdom in a marriage that solidified economic and military ties between the two regions. However, once he met his brother Philip's wife, Herodias, all bets were off. He took Herodias for himself and married her. As an aside, she was also his niece, and the Herod family tree as a whole is less a tree and more a wreath. There was a lot going on there. But John the Baptist, who was gaining a large following, called Herod out for his sin. It was unlawful for a Jew to have his brother's wife. And neither Herod nor Herodias, his wife, cared much for his whistleblowing. And so Herod had John arrested and imprisoned. In his gospel, Mark tells us that Herod had mixed feelings about John. He wanted to kill him, to silence him, but he feared what the people might do because John was so popular. What's more, while Herod was imprisoned, while John was imprisoned, Herod would regularly go and listen to him talk. And Mark says that Herod found John's teaching confusing but fascinating. Herod secretly liked John. Herodias, on the other hand, her feelings were not so mixed. So when she saw her chance, she took it. While Herod was busy drinking and showing off for his birthday guests, she was plotting. And so using her daughter, Salome, she made her move to have John killed. Herod was stuck. He had made a grand promise in front of all of his friends. So now what? Scared to kill John and face the people, and scared to save John and lose face in front of his guests. He caved to the more immediate pressure and had John executed. His head served up on a platter in a spectacle. That's the end of that. No more worries about whistleblower prophets. He could finally rule his little corner of the world in peace and quiet. In April 1963, another prophet sat in a jailhouse, this time in Birmingham, Alabama. Jailed for speaking and acting against the evil of racism and segregation. From his cell, Martin Luther King Jr. wrote a response to a letter from eight white clergymen, including a prominent Methodist bishop, calling for the cessation of the civil rights protests and boycotts. In his now famous letter from Birmingham jail, King primarily addressed those whom he called white moderates. These were people who were sympathetic to the plight of African Americans, but unwilling to stand with and for them. They were in favor of equal rights, eventually. They found the status quo of segregation distasteful, but it was favorable to them, it was comfortable. They were concerned about how they would look in front of their neighbors, their friends, their congregations. Like John and most of the prophets before him, King was silenced. He was killed for speaking truth to power. And while we now hold him in high regard, celebrating his birthday in January and observing Black History Month in February, we often erase the inconvenient truth that the vast majority of Americans disapproved of Dr. King and his work during his lifetime. The month that Letter from Birmingham Jail was published, just 41% of Americans held a favorable view of King. 
But by August 1966, two years later, only a third of Americans had a favorable view of the leader. More than 63% viewed him unfavorably, including 44% who viewed him highly unfavorably. A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. Or maybe a prophet is without honor until time and history prove them right. We don't always recognize our prophets in real time. Some people recognize them and hate them. They're willing to do whatever it takes to discredit and silence those voices crying out from the wilderness, like Herodias was. But most of us, most of us are Herod. At first, we don't really like the, wo the voice of challenge, but as we listen over time, we come to a place of quiet agreement. I'm all for desegregation, eventually. Razor wire is bad, but it wouldn't be a problem if they would just come legally. The church should take steps to become inclusive as long as climate change might be real, but we can't really know what will happen, and everything seems fine now. What's happening in Palestine isn't great, but this sort of quiet agreement is what MLK called a negative peace. It's seeking the absence of tension, hoping that the problem will go away, as opposed to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice and equity for everyone. And so like Herod, we waffle back and forth between our internal beliefs and our outward persona and our desire to just keep the peace, while injustice and harm continue to rage around us. Mercifully, John was truly the forerunner in every sense. He not only prepared the way of the Lord through preaching and baptism, but he became the forerunner in his death. Later, another man would stand before Herod, accused of telling too much truth. And Herod would reprise his role of waffler and waverer. Unable to commit to a decision on Jesus' guilt, Herod transferred him to Pilate, who finally gave the go-ahead for crucifixion. Only this time, Herod's paranoia was right on. Jesus was resurrected. His truth-telling would not and could not be silenced. He proclaimed the Lord's favor a kingdom of positive peace where justice and equity are fixed forever. He is still proclaiming it, even now as he is making all things new. We, like Herod, like those eight clergymen, like 63% of Americans in 1963, hear the voices of the prophets and reach to silence the alarm, or at the very least, to hit the snooze button. We say things like eventually and as long as and none of my business and why do they have to do or say or be like that. It's not always that we disagree with the sentiment, it's just that we don't actually want anything to change for us. We're comfortable. We have a small kingdom to rule in relative comfort and we're enjoying the quiet of our negative peace but mountain leveling is loud work. And so is valley filling and road smoothing and path straightening. The way of the Lord is not prepared by waiting to make our minds up. It's prepared by shaking things up, 
by upsetting the status quo, by speaking up in front of your birthday guests or your country club friends. The kingdom of God is at hand, and it won't be silenced. It won't be snoozed. It can be killed, but it will be resurrected. The voices will never, ever stop calling from the wilderness. Sometimes those voices come from close by, people who call us out for our personal wrongdoing, friends, bosses, spouses, children, who point out our flaws and give us the opportunity to grow, or even to save ourselves before it's too late. Other times, these voices come from far away, warning us of oppression and injustice, of racism and bigotry, of greed and of innocent blood being spilled. They call out to us as a church, as a nation, as humanity, pleading for us to repent, to change course, to open our minds and our hearts to a love that knows no skin color, no gender, no nationality, no GDP. They are poets and activists, teenagers and scientists, rappers and preachers, whistleblowers and troublemakers. Whatever the prophet may look like, the message is the same. Repent. When we hear those voices, what will we do? Will we waver? Will we try to save face? Do our best to silence them? Even serve them up on platters to impress our friends? For his part, Herod continued to be a man of basically no conviction. And his snooze button on John's alarm eventually came due. His kingdom was attacked by his former father-in-law. It turns out that those military and economic ties between their kingdoms were broken when he disowned his wife. He was defeated badly in that war, and then after some significant meddling by Herodias, he was convicted of conspiracy against the empire and banished. The unhappy couple were exiled where they eventually died. The very thing that John the Baptist had warned him about ended up costing Herod everything. We can see it now because time and history have proved it. But what if he and we heard the voices of prophets and repented while there was still time? What if we repent of our love of negative peace and commit ourselves to that loud work of civil engineering that will lead to true and positive peace? A voice calls out from the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight the paths, make clean the water. Every valley and every belly shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be made low and every vote counted. Both the uneven ground and the playing field shall be leveled and the wages shall be made equitable. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed in all flesh, all flesh, white and black, gay and straight, Palestinian and Israeli, able and disabled, Democrat and Republican, old and young shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken, and he will not be silenced. <laughs>